From Happy Cat Studios in Indianapolis, Indiana, it's the Rick's Rambles podcast for the week of April the 18th, 2022. Fun Facts. Today's fun facts are all about one of my favorite actors, Mr. Leonard Nimoy, who, of course, is most famous for playing Spock in Star Trek, the original series, and all the movies that came after. But he was so much more than just Spock. So today, let's take a look at some of these. Number eight, he answered his fan mail personally with his family. Back in the 1960s, no one was aware of the massive impact that the Vulcan first officer would have on pop culture. When the original series started airing, Spock was suddenly thrust into the limelight, becoming the main reason for Star Trek to become extremely popular. For many people, he actually was the main character in the show, not Captain Kirk. Well, a magazine accidentally published the actor's home address. And instead of being angry, the Nimoy family, once they started receiving tons of fan mail, sat down and answered every letter personally. I love that. Number seven, he released several musical albums. Leonard Nimoy did not have a Vulcan harp, but he had a guitar, and he knew how to play it. Far from limiting himself to his acting job, no matter how popular the show was at the time, the actor explored other endeavors. That led to the release of several albums, such as The Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy, The Way I Feel, and my personal favorite, one called Highly Illogical. Not only did he write and sing the songs, he also was featured in the hilarious music video of his most famous song, The Ballad of Bilbo Beggins. Number six, he fought for pay equity on behalf of Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura. The original series remains maybe the most progressive TV show of the 1960s. It pushed anti-war plots during the Vietnam War. It had a diverse, multinational, multi-ethnic cast and it, the women wore miniskirts, which was relevant for human women's rights in the 1960s. Well, despite the gender equality in space outside the enterprise, the reality of the entertainment industry was that the actresses were paid much less than the male actors. Leonard Nimoy disagreed with the disparity and went to fighting for Nicole to get paid the same regardless of her gender. According to Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov, when Nimoy learned about it, he made the front office correct her salary and pay her back pay. Like Spock would agree, gender equality is a matter of logic, and Nimoy used his influence to fight for it. Well, the famous Vulcan nerve pinch. It's hard to imagine what Spock would have been like if it wasn't for what Nimoy brought to that character. Could anybody else have played that character so perfectly. Among the contributions, like playing the Vulcan restrained and using a Jewish symbol as the most memorable salute in the franchise, the actor also invented the Vulcan nerve pinch. In an interview with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Nimoy explained that a particular script included Spock hitting the villain on the head with his phaser. However, Nimoy found that move too western and reminded the director that the character was an alien so the possibilities were endless. He suggested a much more subtle attack, one in which he applied pressure on the neck of the villain. This explanation shows how well the actor understood Spock and added brilliance to the portrayal. Well, Leonard Nimoy was not only an actor, a songwriter, but he was also a poet. Besides acting, music, directing, photography, Nimoy explored the poetry field, publishing several volumes of poems over the years. In the book, For the Love of Spock, there's an interview where Nimoy discusses his poem, A May Not Be. 
in which he said he may not have been the brightest or the best, but the one thing that he could do better than anyone else was just to be himself. What an amazing tribute. What an amazing line. In his last tweet, his legendary last tweet on Twitter, Nimoy showed this poetic message. A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but they cannot be preserved except in your memory. Number three, in between jobs, Leonard Nimoy slept on the couch in his dressing room, afraid of following the same path as other actors who ran out of money after a popular TV show finished its run. Nimoy accepted all paid appearances while he was also filming Star Trek. That meant that he traveled back and forth to the coast on a weekly basis, sleeping in his dressing room so he wouldn't have to pay for hotels. Number two, I was not aware of this. He sued Paramount, and he won. Spock told many jokes in Star Trek, but Leonard Nimoy's lawsuit against Paramount was not a fun pun. The studio used Spock's image for years without the actor receiving any compensation. Because of that, he sued the company at the same time Paramount was making the first movie of the Star Trek franchise. Given the feud, Nimoy refused to read the script for the motion picture, one of the best Trek movies of all time. Well, that's debatable whether it's one of the best, but it started the whole movie trend. However, the studio knew they couldn't make a movie without Spock. Both parties settled the dispute, with Nimoy receiving his fair share of royalties and going on to play the Vulcan on the big screen. And Star Trek, the animated series. I love the animated series. He fought for his co-stars to be part of the animated series. It's not by accident that Gene Roddenberry used to call Nimoy the conscious of the show. When he wasn't playing the ethical Vulcan on the screen, the actor's strong sense of morality paved the way for diversity to remain a constant in the franchise. After the original series ended, Nimoy and a few members were invited to voice their characters in the animated series, but Nichelle Nichols and George Takai, for some reason, were not invited. Nimoy refused to do Spock unless his co-stars were hired, and so they were. This wholesome fact encapsulates the kind of professional Leonard Nimoy was behind the screens, an actor who played a logical alien and a tender, kind-hearted man. There you have it, some fun facts today about Leonard Nimoy. And it's time for our good news story of the week. This week we're talking all about the wine fairies. An endearing new movement for neighborly kindness is putting a benevolent twist on the game of ding-dong ditch. As a means of cheering up American communities, mysterious groups of do-gooders known as the wine fairies have been leaving wine and treats on people's doorsteps. The first Sisterhood of the Traveling Wine Facebook group was founded by a mom who wanted to spread joy by leaving bottles of wine on the doorsteps of strangers, friends, and neighbors. Suddenly, hundreds of other Wine Fairy Facebook groups with as many as 78,000 members have now appeared across the country. The fairies collect the addresses of wine lovers in their communities and ask which varieties of wine they might like to receive. The members completely dressed in wings, tutus, and magic wands, then tiptoe to people's doors, place their gifts on the stoops, ring the bells, and run for cover. It's all about bringing others happiness and making new relationships, says 40-year-old Carol Rendell, 
who brought the movement to her home in Raleigh, North Carolina. There's a shout-out to Cat Church in North Carolina. It starts off as a random act of kindness to a stranger, and then it becomes a friendship with a neighbor you didn't know you had. Her North Carolina chapter of the group now touts over 51,000 members and has 3,000 people on the waiting list. It was supposed to be just in the Raleigh area, but now we're in 10 states, and we hope to eventually launch in all 50 states, says Rendell. It's called the Sisterhood of the Traveling Wine, but the group is co-ed, and it really isn't just about wine. We eventually want to include children, grandparents, and everybody. Rendell is now expanding and creating alternative versions of this gift-giving group, including the Brotherhood of Booze and Beer and a non-alcoholic version for kids. And as it goes on, she hopes to expand to larger in-person social gatherings. Cruise lines have even reached out to me about having a cruise for the Sisterhood of Traveling Wine. This sounds like a really great idea. You know, and I am a big advocate of doing things for doing good things for people without expecting anything in return. Wine may not be your thing, but maybe this will be the impetus for an idea in your neighborhood. I so appreciate you all being a part of Rick's Rambles podcast. And each and every one of you that listens are a part of this podcast, and you are very much appreciated. If you would like to support the podcast, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can sponsor an episode or a series of episodes. Just drop me a note. I'll put an email address in the show notes and let me know. We'll make that happen. And please take a moment and share the podcast on your social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest, wherever you might be. Let folks know what you're listening to. And in a nostalgia segment today, we're going to go back 40 years this year. That's right, 40 years, and look at the number one songs of 1982. It's hard for me to imagine that 1982 was 40 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Here we go, the top 10 selling songs of 1982. Number one was Survivor with Eye of the Tiger from Rocky. What a huge song that was. Number two, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll. I love that song. And I love Weird Al's remake as I Love Rocky Road. It's my favorite kind of ice cream. Number three, The Human League, Don't You Want Me. Number four is a surprise because I don't remember this song being so big. Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory. Number five, Men at Work from the Land Down Under. I love that song. Number six, The Jay Giles Band with Centerfold. Number seven, the Steve Miller Band with Abracadabra. Number eight, maybe my favorite song of the 1980s, Dexie's Midnight Runners with Come On Eileen. That song has got it all. Fiddle, banjo, it's nice and peppy. I just love that song. Number nine, Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warren's Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong. I think that may have been from a movie. And number ten, Musical Youth with Pass the Duchy. There you go. The number 10 best-selling songs of 1982. And it's time for our special days of the week today. Monday the 17th is International Amateur Radio Day. By the way, I am an amateur radio operator. My call sign is N9GSU, as is my wife. Hers is KC9SPT. It is also National Animal Cracker Day. Tuesday the 19th is Bicycle Day. I hope the weather's going to let me get out and ride my bike on that day. It's National Garlic Day. Oh, boy, I'm excited about that. 
and it's National Hanging Out Day. Who wants to hang out on Tuesday? Wednesday the 20th, National Cheddar Fries Day, and it's National Pineapple Upside Down Cake Day. Thursday the 21st is National High Five Day. High five! And it's National Chocolate-Covered Cashews Day. Friday the 22nd is National Jelly Bean Day, but more importantly, it's Earth Day. Saturday the 23rd is National Creator Day. All those folks that are creating content on the Internet for you to enjoy, give them a shout-out on that day. And it is also Record Store Day. And Sunday the 24th, National Pet Parents Day. And it is National Pigs in a Blanket Day. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Rick's Rambles podcast. I'm so glad that you popped in and spent a few minutes with me today. If you don't mind, please share it on your social media. Let folks know what you're listening to. Until next week, be kind to as many people as you can, as often as you can. We'll start right now.